House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome back to the 2024 edition of Capital Ideas. Today's conversation is with Representative Bill Ramos, and I'll tell you what that means in just a second. But first, this is the podcast where members of the majority House Democrats in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Now back to Representative Bill Ramos. Bill lives in Issaquah and works for the fine populace of the 5th Legislative District. He'll talk a little bit about the district in today's conversation, but a quick sketch of that district would be this. It's a diverse piece of Washington that includes Black Diamond, Carnation, Issaquah, Maple Valley, North Bend, Renton, Sammamish, and Snoqualmie, and unincorporated areas in Enumclaw, Fall City, Hobart, and Preston. Now back to Bill. He's got an interesting story packing a whole lot of public service into one lifetime. Like M.C. Hammer, he was born and raised in East Oakland, California, but unlike Hammer, Bill pursued a career in forestry. That brought him to the woods and mountains of Washington State, and we've had him ever since. A House member since 2019, Bill chairs the House State Government and Tribal Relations Committee, and he sits on the Transportation and the Community Safety, Justice, and Reentry panels as well. We recorded this on Tuesday, January 23rd, the 16th day of the 2024 legislative session in Olympia, and here's what we said. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Bill Ramos from the 5th Legislative District. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and that's what we're going to do today. Always a pleasure to be here. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your district and yourself, just to begin with. Sure. My district is in the eastern part of King County, the more rural and agricultural part of King County. Uh, We have seven different cities as part of it and all the unincorporated King County in between. So as far as King County goes, it's a a fairly unique district as part of that. And I live in Issaquah. And my background is interesting because I grew up in the inner city of East Oakland. And then I worked for the Forest Service and I lived out in the most rural places you can ever imagine uh, where, you know, there weren't even towns. And then I got to the North Pacific Northwest in the 80s and got and came into North Bend and Issaquah area and been there since the 80s and love this part of the state for sure. This is your sixth year here in the state legislature. You're the chair of the state government and tribal relations committee. That's a fairly important committee around here, given tribal relations in Washington state. This may be the state in which that is the most significant kind of relationship in the United States and state government, of course. That's why we're here. Yes, and we have, you know, 31 tribes uh, that are in all or part of, of Washington state. So that's a lot. And those are separate nations. They're sovereign. And so there's no grouping them together because they're each their sovereign nation. And so when you talk to one, you just like talking to each and they all have their own sovereignty and the way they rule their, their nation and so forth. And so you have to keep those relationships up, which is very important in, in this and, and keep communications open. Um, I'd like to add the other part of the committee that is also very important. That's not in the title is elections. 
because all the all the items that have to do with elections uh, come through our committee. Uh, so uh, we have things we definitely now we're concerned about election security where people like to uh, look at possible different ways to change elections, such as ranked choice voting, how who can vote, how easy it is to get registered, all those things to make voting easier and but also secure and accurate as well. And uh, so that's a lot of the things we do on that committee as well. And I think Washington is rated pretty highly in terms of just about everything you just talked about. Absolutely. I'm, it's, it's great to work in this state. And, you know, elections are run by the counties, right? And the state, we have the Secretary of State's office overall to help that, but the, each county runs their own. Uh, but they're connected in a way to keep, uh, the, you know, top in the uh, technology to keep, you know, elections, say, secure and accurate. And we are top-notch in, in how we do that with our, everybody with a mail-in ballot, but the security that goes along with that is, is very good. But we're always staying on top of that to make sure because those, those things are being attacked now, and we need to make sure that they, uh, they continue to be safe and get everybody's vote to count. I want to ask you something that I don't know if I've ever asked a legislator in a podcast conversation, but what did you want to be when you were a kid, when you grew up? <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know how long it was when I was a kid, but somewhere in my teen years, I would say, uh, where I, I fell in love with the outdoors. And I was lucky enough to pursue that. And I had a 30-year career with the U.S. Forest Service. That was my dream come true, to be able to, to spend all my days out in, in national forest lands and working and, and taking care of them for the long term of our country and that everybody could enjoy them. And that was uh, just, uh, I'd say it was my dream, but a dream come true that I got to actually put into place for 30 years. That's rare. Good for you. Yeah, and, and I'm just extremely lucky in that, you know, I, I pursued it, but I was in the right place at the right time and doors open for me that allowed me to, to continue that. And that's just a, a very um, incredible part of my life that I'm just very lucky. Here in Washington, it's a two-year legislative session. Uh, this is the last year of your third two-year legislative session. And so what I want to do is talk about the whole two years uh, in terms of kind of your accomplishments, some of your goals, uh, maybe some of your disappointments, I'd like to start with something that seems pretty important to me, uh, which is public safety. Last year, you succeeded in having a pretty significant amount of money added to the state budget to beef up recruitment and training of law enforcement officers here in Washington state. Tell me about what motivated you on that, and is it working? It's, it's in the process, so it's, it's moving along. What motivated me is a couple things. Having been on the city council before I got to the state legislature, you learn that our law enforcement officers in the whole state are pretty much locally recruited and hired, so every city and every county has that own, their own jurisdiction. Um, but the one thing we've had in this state is we had one training center. And so every officer would go have to go to that training. I mean, a new recruit that a city hired would then go to that training center. So th that's a good part about that is our training is consistent. We can control the curriculum and train new officers with the latest modern techniques with de-escalation and those kinds of things, which is great. But it also limits how many officers we can get in through at one time. And with every small city, you can have cities with population of 10,000, 15,000, have to do that whole process of recruitment, outreach, trying to find someone who wants to make law enforcement a career. Law enforcement is a great career. 
it's it's uh, working with your community, helping people, and and it's you know good wage job. So it's a great you know very professional career. We want to get more folks in there because we do know in Washington we're short on law enforcement officers. If you look at other folks, they say how many law enforcement officers per thousand people population, and we just our ratio is way down, always has been. And then due to uh, what's happened with pandemic and all the things, it's even reduced lower. So I want to get the best recruits can that, that want to make law enforcement their, their honored profession, that want to make changes. We get our law enforcement uh, folks looking more like our, the diversity of our state as a whole. Get them the best training possible. And so with that, we're also expanding the locations of that training so we get more officers through. But mainly really reaching out to folks to say, law enforcement is a good and honorable career and consider it. And helping all those small cities, instead of doing everyone doing their own, we would get a a possibility of one outreach and recruitment system statewide that would be consistent, have professionals running it. We know how to get to folks and get them that information that that is an honor profession and it is respected and uh, you can make a good living at it and raise your family. And that's what that is looking at to really get that help all the local uh, smaller communities in particular be able to get the best recruits they can get. So that sounds like it's going to be an ongoing process for a long time. I think we'll probably have a chance to talk about this again in the future. Absolutely. Let's talk about something else that has to do with public safety, although it's very micro as opposed to the macro that we've just been talking about. And that has to do with the bill that you're sponsoring this year in 2024 to basically outlaw people who intentionally or not obscure their license plates. You know, it does say in the law currently that you have to keep a legible license plate on your car. So you can't be all bent up, covered with mud, those kinds of things, so you can't see it. The reason for that is we want your car to be identifiable to law enforcement officers. If they pull you over for their safety, they know who they're pulling over and that your car is accountable. So if if you if there's an accident, a hit and run, something like that, someone can get your license plate and report it. We, we As owning a car, we want your car to be accountable. But what we find out is you put a plastic cover over a license plate, it makes it unreadable to law enforcement, to toll cameras, and school zones, they have cameras. That, so you're not paying the tolls you should. You're not paying the fines you should if that can't read your license plate. So you're getting away with something, and I want fairness. I don't like how those things to happen, but if you are doing something with your vehicle... It should be accountable, and we want that read. But the big reason is mainly for protection of law enforcement and someone to be able to, to report your vehicle as something wrong because the readers can't read through that plastic covering. And our license plates are meant to be out in the, in the open for years. They don't need protection in the plastic cover. They will last. They will hold. So there's no reason to cover it so to make it illegible. And even if somebody starts off with a perfectly transparent piece of plastic there, just from weather and sun exposure, it's going to turn yellow. It's going to become opaque. Right. But and so if it's clear like that, you can read it with your, your, with your eyes, but the machines can't read it because that plastic reflects the, 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 the signals that are going back and forth. So even new ones can't be read well. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> it's pretty slick, really, if that's what you're trying to get away yeah, with. You're, you're, you're making your car unidentifiable. Well, let's stick with cars for a minute here and talk about a way that some people are sort of gaming the system, I guess, and that has to do with gas tax, something that nobody likes, but we all pay it, except we don't all pay it. 
Yes, and again, staying with fairness, uh, none of us like taxes, but if if we have to pay a tax, we should all pay it fairly and equally to our share as, as designed by law. And many people think they pay the gas tax when they fill their car up, but actually that's not where it's paid. It's what they, it's called paid at the rack, which is up the chain. So when the, when a delivery, a gas truck picks up gas or diesel from a refinery, they're the ones responsible to pay that gas tax. Now they incorporate it into the price and then they sell it to the gas station and it's in the price and we are paying it. But our taxes are on an honor system. And if those delivery folk don't report the gas they're delivering and they don't pay the gas tax on it, then they're selling it as if it has gas tax on it. So we think we're paying it, but they're actually just taking that portion and making it profit. And they can do it by not reporting, but we also have folks that can come in from out of state. They aren't even a business in the state, bring gas in, deliver it, and leave. And they're not even a business in the state. So we can't even track them down and audit them because they're not even licensed to do that. So the goal here is uh, just to set up a system that uh, our Department of Licensing, who is responsible to collect gas taxes, has a system in place to audit and verify that those folks are paying the taxes they should so that we figure that this would collect an extra $16 million per biennium. And that may not be a lot of money, but we can fix a lot of potholes with $16 million and everybody wants their potholes fixed. So that would be a really good thing to do. It seems like we've got a theme here today, which has to do with vehicles and something that vehicles are used for that I think infuriates pretty much everybody except the person doing it is illegal dumping. You're looking at that. I am. And, you know, as I said, I worked for the Forest Service back then, and the, the problem of illegal dumping has been around as long as I can remember. And it hasn't, hasn't really changed. And there's folks that, that dump and the other ones that take their stuff to the dump, and for whatever reason. But we, I, I talked with a bunch of landowners recently, and they're paying some of them hundreds of thousands of dollars to go pick up the garbage on their land that somebody dumped. And they, were, they wanted to come, let's try a different method. Right now, it is a crime. It is an actual crime if you illegally dump stuff, which means someone has to arrest you, they take you to jail, the prosecutor has to prosecute you, and you know what? We talk about our system so overloaded now, the prosecutors are not going to take the time to do that. That's going to be at the bottom of their list. So the idea was to to turn it into a civil infraction, so take it from a crime down to a fine. And that says when you get it, if someone catches you, you can get a ticket and you can get fined and you have to pick up your garbage, right? That's a lot easier to enforce and it makes sense. But the most important part of this is those fines that would be collected would then, half of that would go back to, to the law enforcement agency that spent the time catching folks, which is hard for them to do and that takes some money. But more important, the other half would go back to the local governments to help educate folks to stop dumping have a possibility of reduced fee days at the, at the dump or actual vouchers. If you can't afford to dump your garbage, you want to do it right, but you you can get a voucher to go take your garbage, and we'll be happy to pay for that because it's a whole lot cheaper to do that than have someone dump it and the cost of picking it up and then taking it to the dump. So it's trying to shift it to an educational opportunity program to hopefully encourage folks to, to do what's right the first time. Sounds like it would actually make a difference as opposed to Keeping it as a crime, which I, I do understand, uh, that's never going to be prosecuted. 
Right. And and I'll throw in here an old reference if everybody has ever heard it. But if you ever heard the old story of Alice's Restaurant uh, and, and, and the album and the movie that came from it, uh, that talks about literally being a, a, a crime of the century and how folks could go crazy about it. But, you know, that's never going to happen in this day and age. Well, in the words of Monty Python, now for something completely different. The Washington State Constitution, like probably, oh, 49 others, when it was written... Um, assumed that there was only one gender, uh, and that was people like me and you. Everything in these constitutions refers to he and him and the man, etc. This may seem like a small thing, but it's really not. It can impact how a legal case might play out, because the words are the words that are right there, and lots of other obvious reasons. Several states, including some extremely Republican states, have gone into their constitution and changed all these to gender-neutral. And we're not talking about pronouns here. We're talking about changing it so that it is gender neutral. You've got a constitutional amendment that you're sponsoring. It's, it's a hellacious task to get a constitutional amendment passed in this state, as it probably should be. Tell me what's going on with your goal of having this constitutional amendment passed. And thank you, because this, this is something I just really believe needs to be changed. As you said, our constitution was written in 1889. And, and all men wrote it. Women couldn't even vote then, right? And so they just used male pronouns because that was just the default. Um, in a lot of places, what I found this out. I'll tell you the story how I found this out. Because I was having a lively debate with another colleague one time, and we were talking about who was qualified to do this, that, whatever. And I asked him the question, well, are you qualified to be a state representative? And the thing was, I didn't know what the qualifications were. <laughs> <laughs> so I, asking that question, went and looked it up. And when I looked it up, I found out that to be a state representative or state legislator, actually, overall, you had to be an eligible voter in the district in which he resides. So that's two strikes right there, an eligible <laughs> voter and a he. And a he. And so it's like, okay, that eligible voter sounds right, but you have to, he has to live in the district, which, uh, you know, and that it just struck me. And, you know, that, this was a few years ago, and it's been with me, and I've been watching this, and I'm going to go back and read pieces of the Constitution. I found that's not the only place that is. There's over 100 places where it definitely says a he or him and relates to the male gender. And uh, I finally, this last year, said it's time to change that. And so we try to definitely not get into any of the pronoun, woke, politically correct language. We tried to replace it with what would be written and make it fit so you wouldn't even know there was a change. Such as, easy change was, there's like four major changes. One was, put the title in there. So it's like, the governor can do this versus he can do this. Right. Okay? So you use the title. Um, the other time was, sometimes you didn't even need a pronoun. You just dropped the he and it just read perfectly without the he. You didn't even need a pronoun. Other times, there, it was pretty there where we could change it to a they or them or the individual or something of that nature. No, no, he slash they. None of none of that stuff. Um, and and uh, just a couple of examples. I'll show you that it, our constitution actually deals with railroads quite a bit because they're important then. Right. And you know that railroads were de were designed into the benefit of transporting men and materials. I didn't know that. Yes, only men got transported on the railroads. I didn't know that either. But <laughs> instead of transporting people and materials, right? Um, and uh, a number of places like that that it just, it, it, it kind of made you laugh a little bit 
but realize that th- those are just important acknowledgements to change that. So uh, I did not do this myself. I didn't have a bias. I got our legal unbiased staff to sit down and say, how would you do that if you change it today? And they made all those changes. And I believe it's written like you wouldn't even know the changes were there if, if you looked at what we propose. Now, to get a constitutional amendment in front of the people where it can pass with a majority vote, 50% plus one vote, it has to get a supermajority in both houses of the legislature. That's not an easy bar to reach in any case, but in a situation like this, which potentially could trigger certain people, uh, it could be really difficult. So is it going to happen this year? I don't know if it'll happen this year, in a short year. Uh, I'm going to continue working on this. If it doesn't happen this year, I hope it'll happen next year. Because I think a lot of people understand that. Some people get triggered, as you say, when you first sense something like that. And I've gotten some e- emails that are saying, you know, why? But once you explain it, as I have done, most all the folks I've talked to go, sure, why shouldn't we do that? It's like, yeah, that makes sense. We do need that two-thirds vote to get it from each house. And then it would go to the vote, the vote of the people. For information, right now, this year in 24, South Dakota has it on their ballot because last year in 23, they voted to have these changes made to their constitution. Their House vote was absolutely unanimous vote, and their Senate was something like two, two no's and the rest are all yes. So they were unanimous on that. There's four states now that have cha- made these changes directly to totally neutral. There's about five other states that have made the changes in not to me this clean away, but they've taken the he's out. They've, they've put some of the he, she, some of that other ways of doing it, which I don't right. like as much. But but so there, but about nine states are trying to acknowledge that this, you know, should be corrected. So we're we're not in the front of the charge here, in front of everybody else. We're just uh, trying to get caught up with it. And the fact that this has taken place in blue states and red states is is kind of encouraging because it's really not a partisan issue. No, it is not. After almost 150 years, there's some things that we can make a little updated. Good luck. I want to shift gears here and ask you a question about something that nobody really ever thinks about in Washington State because it's not really a problem, and that's transportation. And I guess you could tell I'm being a little bit sarcastic. You're sponsoring some legislation having to do with transportation. You sit on the very powerful transportation committee here in the House of Representatives. One thing you've got has to do with ferry workforce, which has been in the news a lot lately. What What's going on there with your legislation? Yes, thank you. We started this a few years ago, seeing this coming, and we're definitely trying some new ways to increase our ferry workforce because it's important. Ships don't sail without the folks on board to, to staff them and do the work and keep us safe. And so that's very important. So we're trying to expand that similar to what we talked about in law enforcement, do outreach and recruitment, bring people in. Working on the ferries is a good job. As far as maritime goes, a lot of folks on maritime leave home for quite a while. These are good jobs. You can work it from home and, and still get that maritime experience. And But there are a lot of regulations. When you, Once you're on the water, Coast Guard has regulations on that, so it's not the simplest career to get into. There's a lot of steps to take. As it and, should be. Yeah, and because they're worried about our safety and the safety of the waterways, and, and that's correct. So trying to help folks get past that. Again, outreach, recruit, say this is a good career. 
you know, you got good, decent pay. You can raise a family. You got good benefits. And uh, it's it's an interesting one for folks, folks that like to be out and about doing things, right? Not the ones that want to stay in some way. They want to be out in the weather and, and, and taking care of us. And it's a great opportunity. One of the things I'm adding to that this year is some folks may know, but most of our people that work in the transit industry, our bus drivers, folks like that, have special laws to protect them because we want to make sure they're safe so nobody harasses them on the job so your bus driver can get you there safe. So there's an extra law to protect them. Ferry workers were not covered under part of that. That's odd. Yeah, very odd. They just weren't included. And having worked with them a bunch in the last couple of years, find out that a lot of them are taking a lot of harassment from our public um, in the way that our society is getting a little more aggressive in, in many ways. And so our ferry workers are sometimes subject to behavior that wasn't uh, right. And it just occurs to me that you can't buy a beer on a city bus, but you can on most ferries, and that might have some sort of a nexus with people starting to be a little abusive towards these folks. Yeah, it might. And then, like I say, I think folks have decided in our society that some can be more abusive than we used to be. They didn't have that protection. So one law I have that's coming up hopefully soon uh, will be to add them to the list of our special folks that are transporting us in one way or another that have protection on the law that if you harass them, it's not just harassing an individual. It's a little more severe because they're trying to do the job to take care of us and we want to keep them safe. Representative Bill Ramos, we've been talking for quite a while. I know you've got other appointments. I need to cut you loose. But before we do, I want to give you one final chance here to to make your voice heard. We will talk again, but for today, this might be your last chance. Yeah, well, thank you. And I tell you, we're down here for a short session, 60 days this year. And I just love our time here when we're in session. It's what we're supposed to be doing here. Some people get a little nervous. There's a lot happening. It happens fast. But I get to talk to all these folks. Today I've been talking to everybody from farm workers to fire chiefs to, to, you know, you name it, people caring about this industry or that. I'm working with people to help better our state. And that just, it's, it's wonderful. It's hard work, but it's wonderful because we get to something at the end that's maybe making somebody's life just a little bit better. And that's the most important thing, and I love being here doing that. I admire you for doing that, and I'm real glad that you and I know each other. It's been a pleasure talking to you once again on Capital Ideas, Representative Bill Ramos from District Number 5. Thank you. You feel good? I feel good. Well, all right. That was Bill Ramos, and I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did putting this thing together. If you liked it but you haven't gotten around to subscribing, why not do that today? It's pretty simple. Just look for Capital Ideas, and that's capital with an O, on any of the major podcast aggregators or drop by the House Democratic Caucus website at housedemocrats.wa.gov and hit the button up top that says Media. That opens a page where you can subscribe and, while you're at it, browse through the Capital Ideas archive to see if there are others that interest you. I suspect there will be. Don't forget, this is a podcast focusing on your state government. The more you know about how that branch works and who the players are, the better you can make it work for you, your family, and all 8 million of your fellow Washingtonians. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening, and don't be a stranger.